Welcome everyone to Seek, Go, Create. This is your host, Tim Winders. This is where we redefine success in leadership, business, and in ministry. Today, I have such a phenomenal guest. So excited to speak to him. He's an author. So many things. I'll get to his bio in just a second. But the thing that I just want to share with you, first of all, for those of you that are joining us on Seek, Go, Go Create is... We love to have the conversations here, but we also love for those conversations to continue. So I'm going to ask that wherever you are consuming and listening to what we're doing right now, please continue the dialogue. If you are watching this on YouTube, please go down and add comments. Let us know your thoughts. Give us some feedback. If you're listening to this via podcast on all the podcast platforms, Usually you'll need to go to our website or to one of our socials to comment. I ask that you do that. If you do go to our website, seekgocreate.com, we'll ask that you, uh, you can actually go to the show page for this episode where there'll be extensive notes, resources, the links that we talk about today will be there, but you can also go down and add comments there. Make sure we have your best email address so that we can stay in contact. And then, of course, we're on all the socials. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram, all the socials you could find us. We are Seek, Go, Create in all of those places. So, you know, I for those of you that have listened in on the show, you know that I love to have deep conversations with people. I love for them to be meaningful, and I like to go... I like to peel back the layers, and as I researched the gentleman that I'm speaking to today, I just knew that we were going to have great conversation for multiple reasons that I will get to in just a moment, but let me tell you who we've got as a guest today. We have Richard Louie as our guest, and he is... He's got 30 years experience in television, film, technology, and in business. He's currently at MSNBC, and previously he's been with CNN Worldwide. He's the first Asian-American man to anchor a daily national cable news program, and he is a Team Emmy and Peabody Award winner. In addition to journalism, Richard's 15-year business career involves fintech patents. He's launched brands. He's been through all type of business cycles. He's lived, worked, and volunteered on multiple continents. He has so much going on. I'm so excited to speak with him. He's got a book we're going to be talking about, but Richard, welcome to Seek, Go, Create. Tim, it is great to be here. And in our pre in the green room, uh, I could tell this is going to be a, a very energetic conversation. I'm looking yeah, forward to and, it. And I, before I get to my first question, I like to ask. I, I'm going to ask this as a a journalist, media pro. The years and years you've had, have you ever had conversations with someone who's in the passenger seat of an RV? <laughs> you 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 took my first line away because I was like, first of all. It's a great RV. I mean, ladies and gentlemen, just just look at that. It is beautiful. I, I and I know that everybody who is a, a follower of yours, Tim, they may have seen this. I haven't. But what's the peak around the curtain, right? You, you're kind of curious. What's the view? Because you can you, your office, which is great, can be anywhere in the world. So, no, I've never done that. And you've now given me an idea. Cause this is, this is all, all of a sudden looking a little staid, right? This whole thing yeah, behind cause, me. Cause you're in New York and you probably have a huge palatial apartment in New York, right? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, it's probably smaller than your RV to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're probably both at about 400, 500 square feet, something like that, but mine's on wheels. So yep. anyway, well, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, Richard. The first question that I usually like to ask 
the audience knows. I give the bios, and your bio, I could have continued reading things. You've got so many accolades. You've done so much. But if you and I just bump into each other, it's casual. Maybe it's even a business setting. I don't know. And I just say, Richard, what do you do? What do you typically tell people? You know, Tim, I'll say uh, I'm a journalist and a caregiver. Mm. That's very unique. Those are the two things I'll say. Yeah. yeah. So one of the things that we're going to do, and you know what I, you know what I really appreciate, I, I appreciate your succinctness, because uh, <laughs> as a business coach, as someone who attempts to help people, uh, you know, identify what they yeah. do. Many times, you know, we've got 15 minutes of the podcast people answer. So journalist and caregiver, and and I want to go down both of those paths because I think that sure, they sure. are. I think they're valuable to what we're going to learn about and talk about. And I, I want to go ahead and give the listener a glimpse of where we're going. Anyone who follows us and listens in knows that I've got some questions that sometimes I get to, sometimes I don't, but I love to allow a flow to occur. And uh, that's why we have more of the long form interview formats. But I'll tell you this, that uh, we're, we'll talk more later about Richard's new book that he's got, but it's it's all related to the topic of selflessness. And so the theme that I saw develop as I was just doing some research was the theme of selflessness versus selfishness that I really want to discuss as we talk about a number of things. But Richard, I think I want to give people a glimpse of where we're going to go towards the tail end of the conversation first. And I would love for you to just sure. share that yeah. caregiver role that I know from reading was related to your father. And then and then we'll probably pivot and come back to that later. Can you just share just briefly that story with us? In terms of my caregiving role, right, Tim? Um, it was, I don't know if it snuck up on me, but it was not planned um and but it informed me um and the first chapter is called halftime for a reason because i i just wanted to take a breath my father uh when he contracted or was diagnosed with alzheimer's uh we knew he was always forgetful never you know i, I would say this to his face because you know i love him and and i can say you know you're never gonna be the sharpest tool in the shed but your heart's you know bigger than texas and um, so as he started to progress walking down that road of Alzheimer's year one, two, three, four, you know, I, I realized early on that I would have to be there for him or I wanted to be there for him. So I walked into my boss's office and Yvette Miley and I said, Yvette, um, you know, in my brain, I was going, this is it because we don't have part time anchors, news anchors. We have Eight, eight days a week or 25 hours a day. That, that's it. That's what you got, right? And so I was saying, I'd love to come up with some ideas. Let's work on this together. Uh, I love this company. It's been very kind to me up to that point. But then she says, Tim, well, Richard, I'm a long distance caregiver too. My mom is in Florida. We're in New York and your dad's in California. Tell you what, let's figure this out together. And so here I am now, seven years in, more or less, of caregiving long distance up until, you know, recent times. I could, I was going back two or three times a, a month. And that meant, you know, when you got that, well, you put in more miles than anybody here in that beautiful, beautiful RV you got, but 300 to 500,000 miles uh, a year. 
And that, I think, began the education for Richard Louis on what it meant to be selfless. And I didn't know what that meant yet, by the way. I didn't call it that. All I knew was I was I, I was wanting to care for my, my pops who would have done and had done up to that point uh, everything uh, like that and more. Yeah, and uh, the reason that that story was, it resonated so much, Richard, that I want to share here that I don't think I've really shared with my audience. In May of last year, June of last year, when, you know, COVID was going on, this was in 2020, my wife and I drove cross country from where we were in Denver to Atlanta, where my parents were. And I sat across the table from my father, who was in his early 80s, in the home that I had grown up in, helped him build. So they've been there close to 50 years. And he looked across the table and he said to me, he looked at me with a blank look on his face and said, how long have you worked at this building? Because we recognized that he was in much deeper stages of dementia than we were aware of. You know, it may be Alzheimer's. It's been diagnosed as dementia. We actually had challenges getting even the diagnosis because we really recognized it right early on at, at COVID. So, Richard, the reason that this conversation is powerful yeah. for me is because we are in the midst of identifying what all that looks like for us. And I know there are listeners that are going through similar things. We, you know, we are not part of, I think that selflessness is, we're not the only ones going through stuff. <laughs> there are a lot of people going through this. No, so, we're not. So I appreciate the conversation that we're going to have here. So, but what I, what I really wanna do, and this is kind of unique here, I actually, with starting it off that series, I want to pause and then go with a slight pivot because I want to come back to that because it really relates to the mm -hmm. book. And I actually have just gone, I've read through uh, my advanced copy here. I see for on video, I see it behind you there. So good man. Um, and, uh, yeah. and I'm excited about discussing a lot of things. I have some dog ears, I have some highlights and all, but I, in, in the theme of this uh, selflessness and your experience in media, I recognize that I had a lot of these thoughts going through my head about my perception and views about media in our world today. And so, so yeah, if, yeah. if you are open mm -hmm. to it, I would love for us to have some candid discussions about media, if that's okay. <laughs> yeah, Go for so, it. So my first thing that I would really love to ask, I'm not going to give you my address, though. That's all. That I'll say anything Very you cool. want. Because yeah, yeah, my question, if people give me the address, is how big's your driveway? Because if you've got a 40 foot driveway, I'm going to exactly come visit right. you. But uh, but Richard, Richard, let's start big picture right now because even related to this topic of selflessness, selfishness, and all, some people will claim that the media doesn't really help. Some will say that it hurts. I'm even going to go down a cynical route that I, I think the listener might be having, that the media fuels a lot of the negative. So, and you could go either way. You could, I'd love for you to talk about the merits of the industry and then maybe some of the challenges, especially with your experience. I would love to hear that from you. Yeah, you know, one of the things that I would focus on when I think about this is how much media has grown. Uh, if we just look at at it, uh, we just you know finished an election cycle. Is we've just seen that the amount of data absolutely explode in media that's available to us 
doubling every, I mean, if we were to use Moore's law for media content, you can apply it by every election cycle. Therefore, that means that the uh, amount available to all of us on the consuming side of media is just, you pick it, it's there, right? Uh, If you like a certain flavor, what used to be only 31 flavors is all of a sudden 310 flavors. And so media has really grown in what that definition might mean, which also means, therefore, uh, what news meant before might have some blurring lines. What I know is that as a journalist, I'm not an opinion person. So I get up every day and I try to find the news stories, the facts, and we work at them and they're very expensive. And when we think about the the media space, yes, you've got opinions, you've got uh, you've got truth, you've got untruths, you got falsehoods, you got everything else in between. And from the perspective you were to be critical of what media might be, yes, you have a, 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 definitely standing on on good ground. Um, but also, I always remember remind folks that when it comes to news. Um, the nightly news every night, I, once I got into 30 Rock, I got schooled because I learned how hard we work to try to get every second right. Just like a Marvel movie where they spend $3 million a second or whatever it is, right, to build. Um, we're doing the same. We're trying to. We don't always get it right. And... I liken it to us as consumers of shoes. You know, there's times where you're going to buy shoes from a cobbler that's been open for a week. There's also times you'll buy shoes from a cobbler that's been doing it for 200 years or 100 years because you understand they understand where the soul needs to be. Yeah. So, so a question, a couple follow-ups with that. I actually wrote down a couple notes. So if I look over to my left, I'm taking notes as we go here. I wrote down when you were talking about the sheer volume, I wrote down the comment Mm -hmm. too much with a question mark. Do we have access to too much? That's probably an irrelevant question because it is what it is, but I'm going to ask that to you. And then I wrote, I wrote down the follow-up question. So I'm just going to let you kind of take this and run with it. You wrote down the facts, but then I wrote down to follow up. How hard is it to really find out what the facts are? Because we are, it's very blurred to me what is factual news media and what is opinions. And unfortunately now we've got it to where certain channels and all are aligned. They seem to be aligned. So can you speak to those for us? And, and, and I'm, I'm okay to take a little bit of time here because I really would love to understand it more. And I believe you bring value to our audience in helping them understand it in a different way because you're a professional in that area. And I know that a lot of people that listen in are, would be the people that are the people that throw media under the bus quite often, truthfully. You know what I mean? It's like media is this and they may make, you know, negative comments about it. So I really would love for you to make us feel better about media. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know if I can do that. That definitely is above my pay grade. I'm just a guy that gets up every day and goes to work and tries to do it the right way. Um, too much, right? That was the first part of the follow-up. Do we have too much? Um, you know, it is 
there's there's one analogy that I think of all the time, and it's uh, you know those lottery winners, uh, all of a sudden, boom, three hundred million dollars, right? Or even a hundred million, boom, uh, and they are they're living nicely, things are going well for about two minutes, uh, about you know two or three years, and then we come back to them and we find their story. And unfortunately, the story is now that they're living uh, very uncomfortably. And I think we're in that arc of being data millionaires and data billionaires. And we just need to learn how to grow into it and manage it. Uh, just like those, uh, those lottery winners go through uh, that we see all the time, unfortunately, right? And the stories have been famous about uh, you know, and I wouldn't mind, you know, being a, an NFL player for those who are in the United States, professional athletes, right? All of a sudden you go from zero to like millions of dollars and similar storyline. So when it comes to media and content and all that's available to us, uh, I think we're living through it as a society uh, where we're trying to figure out what, how to handle that wealth, you know, because we got it all at once. And we, I just hope that we don't become data, you know, again, as we move from data millionaires to folks that are living in poverty when it comes to uh, uh, data. Um, so that that's the answer, uh, I'd say, to having right, too much. Right, right, right. So how, how do we discern what is factual and what is opinion? How does average Joe, who's listening <laughs> in, and, and many times they yeah. have the television on, uh, 24-7, and many times they migrate yeah. towards one channel over the other. How can they discern? You know what's interesting? It just came to me, Richard, and I, I guess I've never considered this. You know, this medium that we have now, which is YouTube, podcast, you know, we're obviously broadcasting on Facebook. I, I guess I have never thought about it. I'm sort of in this category of information. We're providing information to so I guess I shouldn't mm -hmm. act as if I'm on the outside looking in. I may be on the inside, not quite to the level you are. But, but how how does one discern if what they're listening to right here or what yeah. they're watching on, you know, I guess our trust levels. Where do we place our trust levels? Yeah, it, that is one of the biggest questions of the last ten years. Is we have now lived through this explosion, like I was telling you, doubling mm -hmm. right every four years that's just wow before we had difficulty and we were we were using fax machines fax machines we were picking up phones with a wire connected to the wall and weird stuff buy newspapers i mean i first of all in terms of where we can find truth um that is a very big question i know that you have asked uh, as a minister as a coach uh and it's a tough sure. one right uh, what truth might be when it comes to news, local reporting is what makes our country mm -hmm. special. It is what makes us uh, different. It is what why we were able to become such a strong union. It is because of it is what built our democracy. It is what built the ideas of debate that we're that we may have healthy debate, right? Trying to be informed, a an intellectual curiosity. Our local reporters, the ones you see at the supermarket, the ones that make so little money that are now maybe producing maybe three papers a week or four papers a week, they love this craft and they give everything for it. And so I think the first place to determine where truth might be when it comes to news is to go local.
right? Find a local, you know, part of the dynamic, and again, I'm just surmising here, I'm not speaking for the company I work for clearly, uh, or, or any industry per se, but more my perspective is that when we've seen the difficulty that our local town papers have lived through, then where do you get the stories from? Well, you get them from some paper that's in some way over there, yeah. right? But then I understand why if I'm in in Atlanta, the AJC, a great paper, and let's say they went down to three days, right? Sure. And I have to listen to a paper from the Northeast, let's say. Well, that Atlanta's different than way over there, right? And that's the power of, of local journalism because you know them, they're real people. So I think a, a, one of the dynamics that we've seen about why we may not know what is news truth and what is not news truth is that we can't see Jane and Jim down at the Kroger anymore because those jobs are, are, are gone now. And, and unfortunately, reinvesting in local newspapers are, are so important. I know, I mean, this is also, you have a business element here to this. You do have to make money at the same time you can flip it on its ear and I, you might do that for me here, Tim, and say, but if you're, if you're about finding the truth and it's about journalism, what won't making profit get in the way, right? That's, that, that's why you could turn it on its ear. I'll let you do that. Um, I'm not going to argue with myself here because that won't be yeah, any yeah, fun. Yeah. <laughs> but that's just one idea of where you can find truth. And then one last thing here really quickly, Tim, is when I talk on the topic, because uh, I've been teaching a high school journalism course or summer camp, I should say, for 12 years. And what I uh, challenge those students with is how long do you spend buying a new pair of shoes or a new phone? And then they'll tell me, oh, you know, maybe two weeks, maybe a week. I use phone more often now. Two weeks is probably the average. I said, how often do you, how, how much do you, time do you spend before you decide this source of information is good? Oh, about two minutes. Uh, two seconds. I mean, the point is, let's the, the great part of our our democracy and our capital system is that we have all these choices, but we should spend more time, I think, really shopping, picking every six months or every year. What are the five sources I really trust? They're, they're, those well, are I, for you, Tim, and and for every viewer. Th those are yours. Yeah, I think there's, and and I even, there's something we'll talk about later that I actually picked up from the book is, it's a word that I use, which is confirmation bias. I always ask myself, what are my dogmas? What are the things that, because of the way yeah. I was raised or the time that I was raised in, and you and I are going to yeah. talk about the 80s here in just a moment about uh, how it fed and how it fed <laughs> into selflessness or yeah. selfishness, yeah. but uh but I agree yeah. with you as, you know, most people, we put no thought into what comes across our eyes, our eye gate, and that we then consume it. And we also, there's these algorithms, there's the business piece of it that we're not going to go into here, but I agree with you. It just yeah. complicates it. So I appreciate what you said about the local. I didn't know it would go that direction, but I appreciate it because I know some people that are in that industry and I know how challenging it is. I know how it, now the low pay and the, and the, and the hard work that's oh. there. Uh, and so anyway, I admire, and I'm hopeful that they can make those models work 
because I'm a business model guy. I know your business background, and I know it's very difficult. And now these newspapers are, you know, they're being bought out. They're conglomerates. But, you know, I remember growing up where we just flipped on the channel and we watched about 30 minutes of dating myself, Walter Cronkite, and, you know, the, the local team. And we knew what was going on. We felt comfortable with it. We trusted it. And now, mm-hmm. now yep. there's difficulty there. I do want to, this is kind of a real shift here, but somewhere along the way, yeah. I read that you were voted, I think one of the 50 sexiest people. No, no. not at all. No. I read it somewhere. Now, is this like not correct? Cause I'm like, this is like, how does one get that award? It, yeah. Yeah. I don't know how that, that happened, Tim. That was, yeah. Clearly that was many moons ago, but yeah, that, that, uh, that is, that was so hilarious. I was just like, well, all right, finally the Asian brother gets up in the list, finally, you know? So, uh, but no, that was some moons ago and that was, it's always been a nice sticking funny point. So thank you for bringing it up. Yeah. I appreciate oh, it. I don't, I or notice I don't. you don't have a plaque on the wall behind you there. So, uh, or a special <laughs> shirt or anything like that. But, uh, no, just kind of having fun with that. One of the things that I love for us to do here at Seek Go Create, Richard, is to expand and get outside of our normal comfort zones. And one of the things I recognized yeah. is that I we have not interacted with someone who has the cultural background of an Asian American that much on this show. One of the things you do in your book is you talk in some very candid ways about that. And so I, 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 and then there's also variations of that. We're going to go here. We're going to talk about growing up Asian American, because I think there's some things you've recognized. We hear a lot about the, the racial issues that have happened in the last year. Yeah. But I think some of the things you brought up, we don't know about, or I don't, I'm sorry, I'll claim ignorance on some of this. I'd love to discuss that. I'm going to go, okay. I'm going to go ahead and yeah. stretch and let you know where we're going here. I'm, I'm going to talk also a little bit about the eighties and, um, and so go back to growing up. Let's kind of back up a little bit. You covered a little bit in the book, but I would love for you to talk about your culture, your heritage. And I, I would really love for you to do it in a way, Richard, where you educate someone like me who I grew up in the deep South. I'm obviously a white guy and with all of the heritage and all that I had, I will readily admit I have no clue about that background. So what can you help me understand about that? Yeah, related, Tim, and thanks for asking. And and by the way, uh, just I'm glad you're going for it. And and it's an important conversation. Uh, my overall approach to understanding uh, that existence of uh, a younger Richard versus today is that today I, I want to appreciate the difference to understand the commonality. And like you and I can, I can already tell we could probably sit across a table in the middle of wherever you, we have to chase you down and probably could, could share two or three beers very easily and, and, and learn. I could learn a lot from, from what you can say because of the way you are and the way that you uh, have lived your life. And so that's my approach. Just want to start with that. The eighties for me were, um, well, I, I, I guess, you know, growing up as a, a pastor's kid, that one of the big defining things, there's two themes coming out of it. One is my, uh, this 
uh, you can't see it if you're only listening, but I'm, I'm gesturing towards my face in the square box that I'm often seen in. And I'll start with that because, you know, when I became a, a journalist, I didn't think that would be the first thing that I'd have to necessarily address. I knew that I was this, blah, 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 blah. But it was often the first thing that I would, the reaction would be, oh, look at the Asian guy on TV. Oh, there's the Asian guy. Well, you know, that's, and it, I, hadn't even, I haven't started talking yet. Yep. And then after I start talking, it would be, wow, you, that English is good, but that's, yeah. And so now let's go back to the 80s. And, you know, me rejecting that very early on, I didn't want to be Asian. I wanted to be white America. I wanted to be American, right? Growing up in San Francisco, going to a, a high school, elementary school, a middle school that had a good proportion of people of color, right? It wasn't like they, there were none. But you still were rejecting that. We even had new waves of immigrants coming in from various places at the time. We had waves from Ethiopia. We had waves from Asia. And, you know, with the Asian folks, I didn't want to be them. I was like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm like fifth generation or sixth, whatever it is. You know, I'm if you if you look through my mother and my father and my great grandfather and all, you know, you can you just hear my brain just churning away, justifying that I was better and bigger and stronger and more American than these other people. And what what happened out of that high school experience really I, I didn't it didn't hit me what I'd done. Uh, you know, my grandparents came to this country uh, illegally. So I am the grandson of two illegal immigrants. And this is I don't know if you heard about it, Tim. It might be a little bit of an issue nowadays when we talk about that stuff. And. I didn't realize that I, you know, I found out that my my grandparents uh, did that when I was 14, I believe I was in my teens. And the only reason why I found that out was because we went to the funeral of my grandma and the name on it said Wong, W-O-N-G. Now, if you go to the if you go to the more info on this conversation, it says Louie, L-U-I. The reason being is because we had put in the first law in our country's history that was based on race and ethnic background and origin. Uh, we haven't done it again. Uh, we've put in acts, but not a not like this. Um, so that made it illegal for my grandparents to come to this country because they were from China, my grandparents. So they bought the name. I won't get into it too much, but they bought the name and they came here illegally. I was sitting on the set at CNN Worldwide and I was doing a story on immigrants coming to the country illegally. And then we went to break. This is like that fast forward 20 yeah. years here, Tim, sitting on, on the set. And I'm like, oh, wait, my grandparents came here illegally. So wait, that makes me like those children because I'm a grandchild. And... Then I realized, well, then my last name isn't Louie. It's it really is Wong. And so from that realization, I realize I have the Wong name. No. <laughs> the Wong name. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Tim. I, I paused <laughs> to see if put on boom. I was like, the applause sign was going off big. I was like, please applause and laugh. But that was that was such a realization. And it, then all of a sudden, you know how you, what I will say is that, you know, I realized at that moment that I wasn't what I thought I was. 
And that's so true of our lives in so many different ways. And that lesson of realizing I, I, that I wasn't who I thought I was has happened then, since then, how many times? And I realized, oh man, that happened before too. It's a lot like we say we, we've come of age. Well, guess what? We come of age so many times in our short time here and we need to rush that very reality of that we will reform in something better. We'll go in and come out of the cocoon, go in and come out again. And so I was ashamed just to talk about that one issue uh, that I has, was not rejecting those new immigrants, those new Americans. I was rejecting my grandfather. And that was the most frustrating for me because I was saying, hey, you, you're no good. I'm better. You, you know, I, me. And I was really pointing instead to my grandfather. How dare I? How dare I? Never said it again. I say it openly. I'm embarrassed. I hope he forgives me because he was only trying to live out the American dream that his grandson would not be a poor Chinese farmer because my grandpa was poor as dirt. And what's great about this place is his grandson two generations later is a news anchor for a national network. What other country gets you to that? What other dream and great place does that? It's so fascinating. I wrote down, you mentioned that when you were growing up, I think it was around 14, you, you wanted to show that you were more American than some of the others that look certain ways. That's an interesting term. And, and I, I think it's fascinating, yep. but the word that kept coming to me, Richard, as you were speaking is the word identity. And, and we have so many mm -hmm. levels of identity that we try to latch on to. And obviously there's some spiritual identity that we can have and, you know, preacher's yep. kid. So we yep. know you grew up wealthy and everything was awesome in your life because you were a preacher's kid, right? Because preacher's kids live. <laughs> I wanted to see if you were paying <laughs> yeah. attention. Wealthy in Wealthy heart. In heart. Wealthy yes, in heart, yes, my yes, friend. Yes. There you uh, go. And, <laughs> and in this whole identity of, you know, the legacy of the, of where you came from, all of a sudden there's questions there because we're getting a little bit ahead to the book, but, but did, did that have any impact on your awareness of selfless or selfishness mm -hmm. at that time? And, and I haven't forgotten about the eighties because I think the eighties are significant in this conversation because they also have an impact on me, but but identity related to selfishness or selflessness. You know what I think it, uh, it caused me to look inward and question myself in ways that are similar to other folks. I'm not saying it's unique to people of color. That's not what I'm saying, Tim, but for my, my, my walk to figure that out of, cause you know, we all go through that. If it's not going to be about that, it could be about height. It could be about location where you grew up. I mean, all sorts of things, right? Um, it, it did, though, empower me to think more critically about the way I think critically. Mm -hmm. Was I a critical think? No, I wasn't, right? I wasn't so good at it. And that's why I look back at that time. But it only took me, <laughs> you know, from birth to 35 years to figure that out, 20 years from the time that I had done that. And here's this great guy, my grandpa trying to help me out. So yeah, that's, I think that's what it, uh, that experience 
helped me to be critical about the way I thought critically. Mm, so that's good. And, and, and I do think I want to acknowledge, you know, we actually, unfortunately, probably one of the mistakes we all make is we try to generalize and we put identities on groups and people and everyone has a story. I mean, I was just thinking, as you said that, that my yeah. wife's situation is, you know, she was from a broken home and, uh, you know, that impacted the way she was. And so everyone has it. Sometimes we try to group people together, but I want to, I want to go. Yeah. It's natural, it, but not it, good. It, what you're it saying, is. Right, and Tim? also, and also yeah. sometimes it goes back to the original conversation of media because sometimes the media really puts people in those groups of wealthy, poor, white, black, Asian, and it even complicates it even more. Agree. I think that we have an obligation as journalists to understand distinctions and to best of our ability to bring those yeah, to bear. Absolutely. So, all right, let's go back to the eighties for just a second. Okay. I, yeah. That might be a good, uh, uh, a series on yeah, a certain Let's go network. back to the eighties. Uh, maybe, and maybe we <laughs> want to do this and maybe yeah. we don't, because I, I was actually, the reason I love the book, the reason I love the enough about me, uh, the unexpected power of selflessness, Richard, was because it got me thinking, and if I find myself pausing and kind of going in tangents, that to me is a book that I enjoy. And I believe it's going to press some buttons for people to think about things. I don't know if that was your intent. I'll ask you that question later. But because it got me thinking about the era that I grew up in, and I think you grew up in that era, which was the 80s. And there are two uh, pop culture references. I also love the, the references that you had throughout the book. And I could tell your sense of humor and mine. We would have fun with that also. <laughs> Anybody that can bring up uh, Gomer Pyle and, uh, and um, references from Frozen and, and Loverboy. Anybody can work the band Loverboy into a book. Yeah. We're, teasing the, we're teasing people. They're going to have to get the book to check this out. But uh, I'm thinking of the 80s and I'm, and I'm thinking of they're good. They, they are. <laughs> but I'm thinking of two things that probably made up a, a good bit of who I was. One was there was a movie mm. called Wall mm. Street that Michael Douglas played in. It's mm. slick back here, and I could still see him standing by the mirror, standing by the window, using, doing this speech and saying, greed is good. And he was talking about that movie, Wall Street. It really was a reflection of the 80s and the Reagan era and different things like that. And then there was another show that I've referenced as I've done talks and I've speak and I've even used it a few times on the show. Sometimes I say the show's wrong, but it was uh, Michael J. Fox was in a show and it wasn't Growing Pains. It was Family Ties where he played Alex Keaton and he was this young hotshot high school kid wore a tie and, and he was going to succeed, didn't care who he stepped on and all that kind of stuff. So, so, yep. so Richard, that's a paradigm. That's kind of where we grew up is the challenge with the selfishness versus selfless. Do we have a lot of roots of that in our generation that grew up during that time? And I know each generation has their own issues, but are we bearing the fruit of that now? Yeah, yeah. Ooh, boy. Uh, like I said, you're good. You're good. Uh, so I, I think that uh, just from a single person's perspective as, as a person that grew up in the 80s, right? One person's perspective growing up in the 80s that, you know, if we look at our, our parents' experience, and the values that they exhibited in the way they talked to us, and what they did, um, 
I would say that we were bearing the fruit of their hard work, of their desire to make things simpler, easier, and better for their family. Supernatural, right? We all want to do that for our kids. Absolutely. There's nothing wrong with that. And we were still figuring out, well, how do we bring that to a natural height? Where's the top? In the 80s and 70s, 70s wasn't necessarily a decade of wealth, uh, as, as many who live through that know that, regardless of age, it was a hard time for the country. In the 80s was all of a sudden this, this application of, uh, of, of thinking in different ways, but not having the, the access to uh, material goods, if you will, uh, to be able to actualize it, where the 80s, then all of a sudden, uh, after 82, we had all of a sudden the stuff to get it. Like all of a sudden designer jeans and what, why do you care about the, 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 the letters here, right? Uh, for me, it was Sir Jackson members only jackets. Like I would go, why do I care if it says those two words on it? You know, I don't understand. And why is everybody wearing it? And why, why did jeans thing with the, with a little, stitches on it why do you want that sears roebuck man go to go jc penny that's good stuff that's all my mom would buy me and i had a tough time growing up as a pastor's kid and wanting to be the youngest apostle in history that i was not going to give into that stuff i you know i you can laugh at this one so i was so against it that i took two old pair of jeans a black one and a blue one and i and so the blue one or the black one, I can't remember, was bad below the knee, below the thigh, and the other one was good above the thigh. So we just put them together. And there was this Chinese American 14 or 15 year old walking to school with these jeans that, who knows, who knows? But I was against that stuff. And that was the beginning for me existentially, by the way, because I saw all these folks and I would go to Christian camps and stuff and I'd see more materialism. And I was just like, I don't understand. I don't get it. I don't, I don't understand. Um, but yeah, I think your question about, was that the beginning of me? Hmm. Right. Cause materialism was look at me. Hey, look at me. I, me, it's me. Uh, you brought up two movies that were icon, uh, icons of that time. And we just kept on perfecting it. How to really market me. And it's not one generation's fault. No, 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 no. You know, this, this talk about millennials being the, the, the me generation. Guess what? I'm sorry. Uh, it ain't that generation. It is all of us together living through it. Um, you cannot narrow it down by age. You can't. You can maybe, as you have, Tim, narrowed it down by evolution of time, a period, right? And if you've lived through it, you might have seen that. And I think that as we talk about selfishness, as, as I say now that we're living in a selfish pandemic, it is because we are reaching potentially that perfection of perfecting the individual and why I matter more. And I wrote in, a, in an, in an op-ed on, on Monday about, uh, in, during this recording, but at, at the time it's, it, 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 I basically say in this op-ed, we, you know, what I think matters more than what you think. Of course, I'm just the general expression of what meism is and being a meist is that what I think matters more than you, what I believe matters more than you, what I do is better than you and you don't deserve 
to, you don't deserve this country, you don't deserve those things. And what I think overrules all of that. And that's not what we we need to be, right? We need to be where we can work together. And we've seen some amazing things of all sides working together in the past. So yeah, I mean, to, to, to agree with what you're saying, yes, I think 80s, and maybe it might be because of our bias of growing up during that time. But if you look at the, the history, it wasn't like the 60s were of extreme wealth. 80s where we had a lot of wealth. Yeah, we threw all that wealth on whatever, you know, our parents wanted us to live better than they had and other things like that. And those things continue. And that's just, again, that's really our, when we were around. But one of the things that I love to, I guess, ask about Richard, and and I know we've already talked about the situation with your father, and maybe this will be a good segue either back into that or, or, or maybe something else. Sure. I've observed with myself that there have been catalytic events. I, I think people can change in one of two ways. Number one, they make a concerted effort to make a change, or number two, a catalytic event occurs and forces it. As much as I'm in the industry, leadership development, personal development, coaching, catalytic events have caused the most change for me. And so what I wanted to ask, I love to ask this question of many people, is what are some of the catalytic events over the course of your life that have led you to where you are, to where you're writing a book right now about selflessness? Because I don't think it happened in the last six months. I think that was part of the culmination of it. But <laughs> what are a few of those events? Uh, they might be extreme successes. Many times they're failures <laughs> is my observation. But share a few of those with us, and then we're going to move into begin discussing some more details on the book. I mean, specifically going back to the 80s that you brought up there, Tim, it was I brought the pants and I brought up all that stuff and the youngest apostle in history. Yeah, I really did think I was going to be the one that was going to save everybody. And it, I figured it out. Hey, Richard, you ain't the guy, right? Uh, you know, I'd be out with my friends and or a good buddy of mine from school would be working on remote control cars, you know. Uh, hey, you know, uh, oh, that's fifth day in. I'm thinking in my brain, okay, when can I tell him about uh, the good word? That's I'm going to do it. Today's the day. I'll, I'll get him. He, he doesn't know it's coming, but when it comes, he will be absolutely just, you know, in rapture and he'll, he'll embrace me and say, this is it. You're right. So that didn't happen. Uh, and many a time, and I write in the book how that was one part the other part was when i realized that people weren't perfect mm. and that shattered my world that the, the the folks that needed to be in in one definition for instance christian were were not ones but they were like 0.4s or fives or sixes or sevens and i didn't realize that was okay so that was hugely definitive for me in terms of the way i all of a sudden i went from the youngest wanting to be the youngest apostle in the world to saying Oh, that thing is really just not yeah. working and i started walking the other direction so that was a hugely uh, definitive moment and then going back to college you know i i didn't like high school uh maybe because of that i worked at mrs fields for four or five years i took uh you know since we're in a, in a business environment you know i worked at a store that was number 10 in, in the country debbie fields was you know just you know what was she late 30s at the time um, great cookies, uh, turned the store into be number one. I was maybe 18 years old or 19 years old. And here I am running a million dollar cookie store. And I didn't do anything else but that, Tim, as I just worked at that cookie store. And, but I loved it. And I know that, you know, uh, especially for Asian Americans and the stereotype of what they might be, 
He's like, why didn't you go to college? And I didn't want to go to college. And I, so four, five years later, I went to City College of San Francisco, go Rams. And then I made it through two years. And um, to be honest, that's the typical journey of people like me. You know, it's not the, the Harvard folks and there are no Harvard folks in my family. Uh, there's a lot of City College folks in my family. Uh, and then I, I moved on from there. But that, what, those two things in that short amount of time was both a, sort of a low point or, you know, what the world all of a sudden fell apart. And then you add in, in the 80s thinking that the world could end at any time. And then I thought I had a heart problem at the time, um, which I outgrew, which, which, is, which is another story. Um, that, that all was a very pivotal point. Yeah. So, so you, you talk about your faith early on and you obviously have gone through business cycle, you know, a lot of businesses you've done, you've gone through, uh, talk to me briefly about the faith as you've gone through your journey, because there would, there would be some mm. people that mm -hmm. would wonder how someone has, uh, the faith as a follower of Christ, uh, in, in certain industries. I, I don't struggle <laughs> with it, but people ask me, I was, I was interviewed on yeah. a podcast earlier and someone asked me that question. I go, I don't know. I yeah. don't think about it much. That may be your response, but media is a very challenging, it's a very, uh, urgent, uh, you cover that some in the book of, you know, some of the things that are real time. I mean, I still remember, you know, yeah. the Gulf War, the guy standing there in his underwear with being bombs going off in the background. I mean, how, how challenging that can be. Yeah. T talk briefly right. about your faith. And then I'm going to segue into how your faith led to this, this mission of selflessness. There are, um, many folks uh, that I met along the way in the last 15 years in my second career um, here in journalism that uh, are people of faith uh, that gather for various evangelical purposes and gatherings that love journalism and do quite well. They also are, are doggone good believers too. Well, I'm, I'm of no judge of that, but I'm just going to say they are trying based on my, again, the youngest apostle in history sort of perspective. <laughs> uh, and so is it difficult? It's difficult. In all, I mean, having worked in business, uh, yes, it's also, but that's, I, I, I wouldn't distinguish any one category of profession or, or work uh, that has been challenging. It's been more of my, what's been challenging for me are things like I described to you in, in high school, the idea of, of perfection and acceptance and to see the beauty in people and to see that you know, one does not mean another. If you're a journalist, you can't be a person of faith. That's there's there's no sort of equal yeah. signs there. There's a lot of sort of can you look deeper? Can you spend a moment? Yeah. Ask, observe. Um, I, I don't bring it up. You could know me for 10 years in, in, in news. In fact, this with this book is the first time I'm ever talking about this stuff mm. openly because uh, it after that that cycle as a younger person, I'm now it's just for me and I respect everybody who wants it. It's for you because it should be. Uh, and, and it's your, it's your, it's your thing. And I apply that for myself and I apply that for others too. It, to, I, in other words, no generalizations. 
I will only say that I've seen a lot of the folks that I've seen in other businesses and mm -hmm. in church uh, that I've seen in, 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 in 30 Rock and around 30 Rock. Sometimes it's like caregivers. Just let them know that you're caregiving and all of a sudden they say, hey, Richard, do you know what? I'm also a caregiver too. Or you know what? I also lived through that too, Richard. And I had no idea. We were in the trenches together, but they only are sharing it now because I decided to, to share it. Right. And, and so that kind of leads to the book that I want us to discuss in our last few minutes here. First of all, what was, I, I hate to use a question. It seems somewhat trite. Why did you write the book? But to write no, a book yeah. with Good the question. title Enough About Me, there's some ironies there also, by the way, you know, to, 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 to write a book Puns. and the title be Enough About Me and it's about selflessness. And it's, it's in my, my question is sort of, is it, is it instructional? Is it autobiographical? autobiographical? Is it both? <laughs> to, talk to me about the why. And then I've got some specific things I want to ask you about it. Yeah, I, you can say what you're thinking, because I was saying the same thing all the way through. Like, it's enough about me, but you're talking about yourself. And I'll just get that 800-pound, we'll talk to that 800-pound gorilla right now. Uh, elephant, excuse me, elephant in the room here. And that is, you know, look, I, 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 I give the examples of actually a lot of my failures or a lot of my goof-ups. And the last thing I'd ever want to do in a book called Enough About Me and we're focusing on selflessness is to repeatedly say, see, look at that person. They, they, they didn't get, and see that person to get, and what they could do better was, and my, my goal was to say, hey, I'm, that's why the first chapter is called Halftime. I, I, I don't have the answers. I just, I'm acting as a journalist trying to dig in. And you're right. It is the irony that I battled with, with my, editor all the way through and my collabor collaborator Nancy French we talked about it all the time and we just said well looking at what we put in about me and it's called enough about me and it's a book about selflessness is that it's more about vulnerability and that I, I hope that with what you read that you understand I'm just trying to lay it out in a very imperfect way and part of being selfless is to do that with others and we forget that sometimes laying it out honestly and with good intent, I, I hope works. I don't always do it that way, but I try to. And so that's why we were, after we went through edit and edit, Tim, it was that, okay, <laughs> we see the irony. Uh, it would even be worse if that thing had a this mug on it on top of that. I was just like, <laughs> we had we, we had a couple of book design, book cover designs and I was like, Nope, we that nope, that's even doing this is weird for me. You know what I mean? Like even talking about all of this is weird, but uh it, it is the bat and, and and with the teams are like Richard, we have to I said, like, no, I d I don't they said, No, we have to okay. So I just wanted to address that 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 elephant in the room. Uh so in terms of why and this is interesting because this is where business work business works in a lot of great ways for good good peer ideas but we sat down and we're like 
sitting with the agency and fantastic agency that really um, understood where this could fit for the swing doer. Like this is for the swing doer. This is the person that might consider for that moment that we make a decision and we, we cite it in the book. We make a, a, a semi solid conscious decision every 15 minutes. And we can just realize that like when it's lunch or when it's driving down the block to fill up the gas tank, is there an opportunity for me to be selfless here? Can I offer somebody a ride? Um, is it what you've seen so often recently, buying a coffee for the person behind you? Um, is it saying the person that is helping you at the gas station, um, Joseph, Josiah, that's great, whatever the name might be, thank you, recognizing, you know, and those, whatever those little things are for that person uh, are important. But talking about caregiving is what we uh, we were going back and forth with the with the agents. It's like that's a that's a good thing to do, but I don't know if it sells sells books. We have a lot of a lot of books on caregiving, and it's it's an it is an important topic. But so we sat there, and I was like, well, what's at the core of caregiving? Like when you were with your father, what is it? Um, and it is that core value of thinking of others, uh, the golden rule, uh, that which has been written a hundred different ways in, in holy texts of uh, the Christian faith and any other faith you can find. And that binding idea, we need a binding idea today. And we need something that doesn't say, this is better than that. We need something that says, that's an antidote to the selfish pandemic. And that was why we said, well, let's go for it. You know, again, I'm no Mother Teresa or Desmond Tutu, but I thought if I can make a little dent here, Tim, in just this little book, I'm pointing because I have a copy right here. This, that little book that to one person doing something different, that's, that's the goal. And that's the way I've been telling stories too. Sometimes I, I pitch stories, Tim, that, you know, that they'll go, well, Richard, why well i said if we need to get the story out there and if we get if we enlighten somebody correctly so because this is fact then we've done our job it doesn't always have to be the big ratings yeah. hit so the the word you used the um selfish pandemic is somewhat interesting looking at at the time of recording this the last 12 months what type of impact did the last 12 plus months all that went on all that's happening go into yeah. the book you don't you don't really address um, a great deal about covid and all that goes on there but but what was it was there anything behind the scenes that led to this also yeah it was uh i share a lot of my reporting in there mm -hmm. as you saw because I, I want to hold up some amazing people. Um, but in those examples, I am talking about the, the bad stuff. You know, I've covered Tim way too many mass murders and, and terror attacks in, in the United States and abroad. And I, I, I hate that I'm good at it. I hate that I can understand where we're going to go because it's the same thing over and over again, right? I don't like that we went through uh, a racial pandemic with George Floyd. And, you know, my first story as a, as a cub reporter was Rodney King. 
and to see any human being beaten, we don't want that. We just don't want it. Um, and the, when I'm standing in the streets and I still see it again in the last five years, I don't want it. So, so there's that, the racial pandemic. There's the viral pandemic where we've seen, unfortunately, uh, people acting in selfish ways, not thinking of the health of others. Um, and then we, we have the very storylines that I've had to deal with. That led me to say, well, in addition, how easy it is for us to hate on somebody, uh, to move to violence, and it's cheap. It can't be cheap. And so that's why all that together um, is what where we went with this book and what we try to share. Because, um, you know, the, 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 the flip side of it, Tim, is it's the Tiffany Paradas in the book, mm -hmm. right? Those amazing everyday people that all of a sudden turn around and do something that is so selfless. It's a, a, the Muhammad who owns the, the grocery store that opens up the next day, even though he gets looted every night. And his wife is saying, why are you going to open the store? You can get hurt. He says, because my community needs me. This, this, this is the only thing they got in this poor community is my little corner store. And Tiffany Parada, who in El Paso and Odessa has four children in the back seat, turns her car around to bypass the shooter that just shot at them, try to bypass him in his car so she can warn other people in front of her. Who are you, Tiffany Parada? You have four children sitting in the back of your 25-year-old Suburban, barely able to, you know, hey, Tim, you see them all the time yeah. too because you're on the road and as a minister and as a coach. But those are the people that teach us how to be enough yeah. about me. What do you hope someone takes away from reading this book? And I shared with you earlier, I, I got an advanced copy and I appreciate you guys sending it over to me. I read the first half of the book, the first hundred and something pages on my normal pace at night before I go to bed. And then I noticed that our interview was coming up. So I, I had to speed read the last half of it, unfortunately, uh, which is fine. It was a speed and a, and a scan. But what do you really hope that someone takes away from reading the book, Richard? What would be your desire? That, um, you know, enough about me is not a mountain, but it is a step every day and that it builds a muscle set. So that when the big things are there in front of us, that we can we can do the big things. Um, for all of those fantastic healthcare workers that we've seen over the last couple of years, why did they go into the next day? We saw the videos of the uh, they're talking to their cameras, saying, I, "I don't, I'm worried. I don't have the right stuff." And then you, your brain goes, "Right, Tim, you're still there though," and they built up that muscle cell must set of selflessness every day because they are healthcare workers. And so going in the next day, once COVID hit was not for them, really, they, they may have thought twice, but they still made that step. But the only way we get to that strong muscle to do ho heroic things like that, I believe is that little step every day. And so the book tries to be an instruction manual, not way up here all the time, up in the clouds, mm -hmm. but more on the ground. Yeah, I notice. I mean, there's there's chapters in here where you where you cover words that demonstrate selflessness towards yes. others. That's great. I marked That's that, right. and then some other what I can you know storytelling practices that are 
powerful. And anyway, gratitude. I, I, I loved a lot of portions of the book, but I, I'm, I'm watching our time here and I, I could ask a lot of questions about this. But Richard, I want to ask, what did you learn about you during this process? I've just finished writing a novel and it was amazing what I learned uh about that but what did richard learn about himself while going hmm. through this process how much work i got to do about myself <laughs> so, so you're not the expert so you see a lot of people will think that if you write this book <laughs> no. you're the expert and you're going to buy them coffee and you're going to do all these things <laughs> no sir no sir the one thing i learned is that i got i'm i'm a work in progress that's what i learned uh, I, true. I'm absolutely being honest with you. I just, every day I'm like, well, okay. I said, okay, once every 15 minutes. Okay, Richard, now, okay. So how should you do this? How should, all right. I just said, I think. Right, why is it I? Why, why am I saying I think? Wait, wait, wait. Why am I using a, why am I using a get word, not a give word? Why am I doing that? Right? How come? Wait. Richard. <laughs> so that's, it, it, that's, that's, that's what it's the difference after writing. I love, it. here's what I love about it. And I was in the midst of reading it and reading other things and prepping. And, and last night we, for those that can see over my shoulder here, we have a water filter back in the back on the kitchen counter. And my wife was trying to change it out and she can't quite reach it. And and I could hear her kind of straining and I kind of got up from my office here in a bit of a huff and I walked over in a very short tone, <laughs> very selfish tone and said, let me do it. Stand back. You can't do it. Blah, blah, blah. In the midst, in the midst oh. of reading the book on selflessness, <laughs> which goes to show Richard how there's so much in our world and our culture and our society that's pressing against that. So I appreciate the book just to let us know that we need to be constantly working at it, in my opinion. Agree? I totally agree. And I hope that you, Tim, uh, I'm sure she forgave you, but uh, we put some cartoons in there as well. And we put some poems in there too, because there's lots of different ways that we can talk about these ideas. And that's, that's why you saw the car. I'm sure you're like leafing through and you're going, there's, the, there's a cartoon in here. Why is there a cartoon? But the purpose was that because it, it need, this is not a book that's going to be saying, it's not going to be medicine. That's yeah, not that's the good. approach. And I appreciated the humor and the things like that we already talked about. Richard, I could talk to you about a lot of things with this, but I know that you're in a role in a position where uh, you ask questions a lot of times of other people. So kind of as my last almost question, I've got a couple quick ones we're going to wrap up with. I want to ask you, is there anything that you really wish that I would ask you? A question that you say, boy, I wish people would ask me this question. You have been so good and thorough and thoughtful. Um, and I like to ask questions. That's what I do for a living and, yeah. and you do too. Um, you've asked the tough question about it's enough about me, but you're talking about yourself an awful lot there, sir. <laughs> uh, I, I guess as a putting on my business hat, I'm, and you all also address this. All right. So how do I do it? Yeah. How tell us how, yeah. Or yeah. And how do I do it? And if it's, if it's, if it's that clearly so good, then why aren't people doing it? And 
those are all really, I, I, you know, yeah. Um, how do we do it? There's lots of ways we can do it. We talked about a couple using language, um, using give words, not get words. And we list what give words and get words are. We're living through a time where we use very few give words in our books right now. The lowest point in 200 years in an analysis done by the scientists that I work with. That, that ain't so good. Um, th there's the, the idea of meeting with somebody, which I think I brought up earlier for three times. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden the prejudice mm -hmm. goes away. Stanford study shows that's the way it works. There's a lot of what's in it for me too. Uh, study shows if guess what, if you live a selfless life, you will actually make $20,000 more than a person who doesn't or about 50% more than the person that is not 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 selfless. And that's a study from a from 2018. Um, there's a lot of reasons, you know, I, I even did a, a funny study since you brought up that thing about uh, it good looking anchors and all that stuff and people on TV as we this proves that they were wrong. So we 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 said, Okay, well, there there is been some scientific studies that say if you are selfless, you actually look better. And that if you start as selfish, you might come in at three, but if you become selfless, you might come in at a five out of 10. So we said, okay, let's try this out. So we put me out there and it's the same picture of me. And we have selfish Richard and selfless Richard. So selfish Richard comes in at a solid 6.3 or something like that. Guess what selfless Richard comes in? Man, this guy's good looking. A solid 7.1. Wow. <laughs> bottom, bottom line is, you know, while I not I may not rate that high, the it's it's the delta difference. So there's a there is some stuff that's what's in it for me. You live longer, four years longer. And there's the stuff you can do on the other side, like I brought up earlier, having the three lunches to reduce your your prejudice. Uh, and, and again, the language that we use. And we, we try to keep on giving you very practical yeah, things throughout. That is, that's very good. And I want to reemphasize, I have read the book. I highly recommend it. I want people to, I'm about to allow you to tell people where to get it and when it's released and all of those things. But uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I knew that I would enjoy our conversation as I have. So if you could now... Let people know how to connect with you, where to find the book, when it's released, dates. Some of some people may be listening before, some people after, but go ahead and give them that information. And then I've got one more question that we'll wrap up with. You got it. Uh, it releases March 23rd, so uh, it, that may be before or after that you're hearing this um, uh, of this year, 2021. And you can, you can find the book at all your your major bookstores uh, and your local bookstores too. So, so check it out. Uh, if you can support your local bookstore, uh, they're yeah. good folks. All right. Very good. Any other ways that people can connect with you? I mean, you know, we get the book, but can they reach out and uh, connect with you? Yeah. Yeah. Any way you like, uh, it could be Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, uh, LinkedIn, uh, courier pigeon. I, I like it all. Actually courier that would pigeon. Be cool. <laughs> Try that. Yes, uh, it would be. Would it be at Courier Pigeon, R. Louis? Would that be what your <laughs> hashtag is there? So anyway, Richard, 
What yeah. a what a fun conversation. And I, I, I have so many kind of funny things. You and I, we I'm glad we stayed serious because we could have had fun. I kept I kept envisioning your book cover with your picture on it and the subtitle of <laughs> you know, sexiest news anchor alive and, and enough about me being that sort of a mini mockumentary. But I highly encourage people to get the book. I'll I'll wrap up in just a moment here, but our final question I like to ask, Seek, Go, Create is the title of our show. Those three words, they mean a lot to us. We've shared them on the show, but for you, so one of those words that jumps out to you or which word would you put above the other two at this time and why? Oh, you know, because the opportunity to be selfless is an everyday thing. I would say go. And why? Because of? Because it, it's an everyday thing and we just need to do it. Go. It's not, you know, we lay out the science behind why it's good to do it, how to do it, uh, what things do work. Um, but often we just don't act on it and we know it's there. It'd be different as I was saying, build a rocket ship. Um, I don't, all the parts, right? A million parts, 10 million parts, but the, the parts of selflessness aren't that many necessarily or aren't that complex necessarily. So go. Yeah. I love that. Richard, thank you so much. I knew this would be a rich and deep conversation. If you're listening in, I know it's yeah. been a blessing to you. We'll include all the links so that you can find uh, find the book and find him down in the notes. So make sure you follow up with that. And just as I encourage you at the beginning of the show, continue this dialogue. I love that we've had a nice hour, hour plus conversation, but I love to continue the dialogue. I would guess that there are many things that we conversed and talked about that got you thinking and got you wanting to ask questions and so I encourage you to go to our socials, go to the website and just continue that dialogue and definitely, definitely get a copy of Richard's book. And next week, another new episode. So make sure you listen in to Seek, Go, Create. And until then, continue being all that you were created to be. Mm -hmm.